0: Good to see you. Good to see you this morning. Merry Christmas. Are we allowed to say that? I think we are now. It's officially allowed. It's December. It's after Thanksgiving. Uh, There's three things on our stage that look awesome. Larry Hagan right here, carpenter extraordinaire. Thanks Larry. Appreciate you so much. Hey, um, it's a season where we just uh, overflow with joy about who God is and the way He comes to us and loves us. One of the ways we worship Him is through our offering. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and receive that at this time. Uh, You know, one thing about the offering that can be kind of awkward, if you're here and you give online, a lot of us give online these days, and so there's this moment where the the bag goes past and you feel like... I don't have anything to stick in, but then you want the person next to you to know that you're not just being stingy. But then you feel guilty because you're not supposed to really care about what other people think about your giving. But you still, uh, so just you know, just feel free to say I give online as you pass it. That's <laughs> totally acceptable, um, and then we won't judge you. No, just uh, mostly what's important doesn't no matter how you give that you give uh, with a heart of joy because it really is a privilege to have God in our lives and our. And our giving just says, yes, Lord, it's a privilege to serve you. So as we take the offering, I just want to remind us that we have uh, Christmas Eve services um, on uh, at 3 o'clock in English, at 5 o'clock in English, and then also at 5 o'clock in Spanish in our chapel. So uh, three opportunities to come be a part of the church family on Christmas Eve and and just celebrate the birth of Christ together. I want to encourage you to remember that Christmas Eve is, is a moment where people are looking to come to church often, and so be courageous and bold about inviting folks to join you. We're going to have some some invitations available for you next week that you can lay on the people's desks around you, or pass out to neighbors, or however you, you feel comfortable, but I'm going to remind you about Christmas Eve, and just make it a priority. It's a really sweet time for us to gather as a church family, but also a time for us to open our doors to the community um, as well. So... With that, let me pray this morning for our time and for our message and ask God to, 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 to join us in, uh, in what he wants to say to us. Father, this morning we uh, remember again that our joy is from you and that you really are the only source of, of lasting and pure and real joy. And so God, infuse yourself into our hearts and minds. Help us to understand who you are maybe a bit more clearly today, what you've done and then what it means to be your children and to be your people in this world. That's, that's our prayer. And so we, we intentionally open our, ourselves up to hearing from you this morning and from your word and all that you want to say to us, Jesus. We love you and we pray it all in your name. Amen. Well, years ago when I was a youth pastor... Every summer, we would take our students off to camp, and one of the high points of that week every single year was this afternoon, all-afternoon event called the Mud Bowl, and the Mud Bowl was exactly what the name suggests. It was this giant, muddy, murky, swamp, pond thing that came up to about your knees, and one afternoon, at least, during that week of camp, all the high school students would gather um, for a series of competitions and, and challenges and competitive events with one another. And the Mud Bowl was a significant moment um, for me as the youth pastor, because it always gave me this very clear kind of view into the kind of adult volunteer staff that we had. Because, you know, you could be engaged on a number of levels and in a number of ways as an adult volunteer staff, but when it came to the mud bowl, there were really only two options. Option one, stand far away on the side, remain nice and neat and clean, and simply observe what was happening in the pit. Or there was the the opportunity to jump in. To jump in the mud and participate and help our students attain competition victory. And so every year I would see really clearly the kind of adults I had. Would they stay out or would they jump in? And friends, this morning, as we launch into our Advent series, we're calling it In. And the idea that we're going to be exploring throughout this entire month is that Christmas is a season when we remember and celebrate the fact that our God jumps in. That we don't have a God who stands off to the side not wanting to get his hands dirty or his life dirty or his person dirty, but a God who intervenes in the mire and muck and mess of our lives, of humanity, and of all of the world really. And so the question we'll be asking, the question we're diving into this morning and the question throughout this month is in light of that, in light of the fact that that is who our God is, in light of the fact that in Jesus, God comes to step in, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for God's people? What does that mean for His church? How does that change the way we think about and approach Christmas? Because... Perhaps, and I want to suggest to you this morning, Christmas stops being the safe, sanitized holiday and becomes a season where we remember that it's time to get our hands dirty and jump into the things that God calls us to jump into. Friends, as a church, what we are all about, who we are as a people, the thing that we center on and spring from, it is this statement. It's our mission statement, becoming like Jesus and making him known. Becoming like Jesus and making him known. And so one of the questions is, what is Jesus like at Christmas? And when we think about taking our lead from him, especially during this holiday season, it means that standing back and keeping clean and simply taking part in spiritual gatherings is not enough. It's not who he is and it's not who we are called to be in his name. And so um, let me ask you this question this morning as you think about being the church. One question you never find in the Bible, I've searched for it over and over again. It's a question that we often ask but the folks in the New Testament didn't. Where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? You see the New Testament was written at a time when nobody thought about calling a building a church. They didn't have buildings for people to gather in. The church was just the people, and the people were in the world. But then, as time progressed and the centuries marched on, this tragic thing happened, and what used to be the name of the people became the name of the building. And sometimes in our day, people will look at a church building and they'll see where you go to church and they'll say something like, man, that's a really beautiful church. You have a really beautiful church. Nice, shiny, copper roof and all. It's just a lovely, lovely facility. And to the early Christians, friends, I want to say that would have been like crazy talk. It would have been utterly, it would have been utter nonsense to them because it would be like someone walking into your home and seeing your crib and saying, what a beautiful baby you have. And you'd say, no, 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 no. See, a baby is a person and a crib is just a thing. The crib is just where the baby goes to rest and recharge and get ready to go out and live life where it's supposed to live in the world. You see, no one takes a baby and sticks it in a crib 24 hours a day, seven days a week, unless you're really, really tired. And then sometimes. And so so the question becomes, friends, how do we think about the church How do we think about who we are at Christmas? Another question you never find in the Bible. How was church today? You ever ask that question? I ask it sometimes, I'll confess. It's usually um, right after first service when I haven't gone and I'm in the lobby. How was church today? Uh, It usually means this. How did a particular service go? How did the gathering come together this morning? How was the music? Did you like the sermon? You see, so often we measure church The quality of church by things like, you know, how'd that one little group of people on that little platform in that little building during that one hour, how'd they do? How did they do? How was church? And friends, I have to tell you, this tendency to compartmentalize and restrict the people of God to a particular place and a particular time has cropped up over and over and over again throughout history and every single time God does not like it. This was never how he intended to measure the faithfulness of his people. In fact, when we think of questions about church, maybe there are some better ones. Maybe there are some questions we should ask. Questions like, where does God see the church how does God think church is going when is the Lord pleased with his people Listen to this passage. This is from Isaiah 58. These are challenging uh, words from the heart of God to his people through the prophet Isaiah. People People confused about what real worship looks like, what it really looks like to be God's people, and God wants to clarify things. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read this passage from the message. Just let these words strike you and let them challenge the way you think about the church and being the people of God. God says this. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side. But they also complain... Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. Hear these words, friends. To break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad. Being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on. And your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then, when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help, and I'll say, Here I am. You see, the problem was the people of God, much like us oftentimes, I believe, thought they would measure how they were doing like this. Well, I fasted a long time today. I had these real deep experiences. I learned an awful lot. I felt a lot. I was deeply moved when we sang. And thus, I must be close to the Lord. I must be close to his heart. I must be on track at living the kind of life he longs for me to live. But God looks at that and he says, no. God says, I measure your faithfulness by your willingness to step into places of hurt and pain and suffering and injustice in the lives of people around you. You see, you cannot worship God and stay out. You have to step in. And friends, this morning, I want to get real practical and talk about an area we believe God is calling us to step in a place he wants us to get messy and break the chains of injustice in our world, and that's in the lives of vulnerable children. Hear God's heart. Hear God's heart for the vulnerable children of our world, and then, and then listen to the kind of heart he longs for us to have. Listen to the kind of response he wants us to have, the kind of lives he wants us to live in light of the fact that he has stepped into our lives, into our mess. And redeemed us. This is from all throughout Scripture. Just let these verses touch you. This is from Deuteronomy. God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, he leads forth the prisoners with singing. And then he calls us, Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And then maybe the most famous verse on this subject of all from the New Testament in the book of James Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. You see, friends, this morning we're putting sort of a stake in the ground and saying this is just one of those Isaiah 58 missions for our church. This morning we want to talk about vulnerable children, and this morning we'd like to invite you in into God's heart for these kids, into their lives in the same way and with the same posture that he steps into yours, into a place of action, but first into their story. You see, maybe the first step of the in process, the first step in stepping in to injustice and oppression and difficulty and suffering in our world is just to take a moment And dive and understand, dive into and understand someone's story. And so this morning that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into the story of a little girl. A little girl who represents thousands and thousands of kids all over our world. Hundreds of children right here in our county. And I'll warn you that what we're about to see is hard. It's difficult. And if you're someone who's experienced abuse in the past, I want to warn you that for the first two minutes of this clip, there is a reenactment of some domestic violence. And part of the reason we're showing this as a church family is to make this very clear statement. This is not okay. This is not acceptable. The people of God will not stand for this. It's not how God longs for things to be. But if you're someone who's experienced this sort of abuse... Uh, this may dig up some emotion for you. And so we want to give you warning that for the first two minutes of this, there's going to be uh, a a difficult scene, but then after that, things will change. The story uh, will shift. And so um, let's together decide to open our hearts and minds and even our palms and step together in to the story of this little girl.
1: you so bad, you? You to stay. it stops hurting at all, until something makes you feel good. hear or see or feel. You don't remember my story. You haven't walked my path. You haven't seen what I've seen. This is who I am. I am unseen, unheard, unwanted. That is what I am than I am anything. Me down. The world turned upside down, and order disappeared. Nothing was how it was supposed to be, and a heavy sadness filled my soul. deeper I fell within myself, all and nothing could draw me out. Trapped in the misery of my life, lost in the sorrow of my soul. Unable to see the light. Unable to see the dawn to feel. To hope. What are you doing my <laughs> to dream? days of my life kept coming. No. The blackest no. nights for my soul never stopped. No. No. It seemed like it was always nighttime, nightmares, and never morning. You wonder why, but mostly you try not to think about it and try to get by and try to survive. And all the other stuff seems so much like nothing compared to just wanting the most important things back again like wishing you could see your mama smile again and hear her sing that one favorite song that always calms you down. And things were all messed up. Or if you couldn't have her back, at least get to take care of your baby brother. Because you know he needs you. And he's going to be so scared all along. And who's going to hold his hand and whisper it'll be all right to him? And who will whisper it to me? I know I am helpless, dependent, desperate. But what happens when those you need the most threaten your very existence? I've heard plenty of promises, and they all sound the same. But push hard enough, and sooner or later, they all prove to be empty. The sun comes up every morning, but do you know where? Each place, it's somewhere different. It's hard to find east when you keep moving around. But at least it comes. It always comes. I've come to depend on that. And slowly, slowly seasons changed around me. And it seemed this time that maybe, the world would not be pulled out from under me again. Feet safe, roots starting to grow. Little buds of hope for me. Slowly attempting to trust this new life.
0: Okay, come on over, let me show you what I got for you. I got you a gift.
1: always be alone, that I'll have a mommy who will hug me and be strong for me, because maybe I can't do it all by myself. my past, my history, my story, is not my fault. It's not because of me. and doesn't have to be what defines my future. will come
0: This is Paul Richter. A lot of you know Paul he is uh, our children and family pastor around here. Um, he's also the guy that heads up our vulnerable child initiative, and uh, more than that, Paul is a, a practiced and seasoned foster father. He and his yeah. wife Bethany have had 11 kids in and out of their home over the years. Um, they have two adopted kids and a third that will be adopted soon, soon with a great oh, name, David. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I asked Paul just to come and maybe talk a little bit about not just where we're headed in terms of foster care, but also, first of all, a really emotional, intense uh, film. There, help us process through that, Paul. I think, yeah. what, do you, what did you see? What did you see that you want to just point out to us as, as you look at that? Yeah, I mean, I think story? I've, I've seen the
2: film now probably like ten, eleven times, <laughs> and it's like every time the little baby brother gets out, I just start. Uh, so. Uh. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a heartbreaking film. Um, that's a simple way of putting it, um, because it's so vivid and so accurate of a depiction of the story for a lot of these a lot of these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it's heartbreaking in that way. I think f- for me, it, it, the most gut wrenching, heartbreaking piece of, of of the of the film uh, is the little girl when she. Uh, starts to identify herself. She says she's unseen, unheard, unwanted. And then she says, that is who I am. And you mm. think about that in contrast to how God sees her as his image bearer, as his precious daughter, um, as a little one he's knit together in his mother's womb. And and um, yeah, it's brutal. Mm. It's brutal.
0: Yeah.
2: Man, you guys have just come out of fostering for
0: the last 20 months yourselves. Right. Um, what sticks out to you
2: in the film? Uh,
0: I wanted, I've seen that film a number of times like you, and ever since I first saw it, I thought I, we have to show that in church at some point because it really, I think, there's something about seeing something that that changes from just hearing about it. Yeah, um, and the thing I love about that film, and I love it more even on the other side of foster care, is that it's, it's, there's a realness to how messy it is. Mm-hmm. There's this sense that I think we all want to believe that we can go out and do a little bit of good and then that little bit of good, that one little thing is going to just ripple across the world and make all this difference and and it's just going to be that easy, right? And and, and sometimes maybe it is. Maybe, like, I don't want to diminish the power of, like, a nice word to somebody. But when you invite this level of heartbreak and hurt and pain into your life, it's hard and messy. And I appreciate that the film doesn't kind of paint it as this very easy thing. You watch that foster mom, the second one, having to kind of go back to her knees, going, what is happening? I don't feel in control. This isn't this isn't the story I wanted to, this is how I want this to play out. And I, I appreciate the messiness of the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, that sticks out to me. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's honest. We have a good friend of ours
2: that runs a group called Mending the Soul. And she always says, you can't invite trauma into your life and not be traumatized a little bit. Right. So,
0: yeah, it's good. Yeah, tell me though, it's yeah. it's also redemptive. I, I want to. There's yeah. a redemptive part of that Absolutely. story where God's at work underneath all the pain, and yeah. He's stepping in through these folks. So, yeah. tell me what sticks out to you in terms of the redemptive part. Well,
2: obviously, it starts with with that second foster mom, and um, you know, as she moves out to love this little girl, this little girl responds by lashing out and pushing back on that love, which is a typical response for kids who've gone through trauma and had things done to them. But rather than rejecting her, she absorbs that brokenness of that little girl, which for me is such a picture of how our God, how Jesus just absorbs our brokenness. Uh, And then as that girl continues to push back on her love, she continues to pursue her, like our God pursues us in love and draws her in. And then ultimately you see that, that final act of love there where she's, she actually, instead of sending the little girl away, she brings her little brother in to be with her. And it's just an extravagant love. Again, reminds me of, of Jesus's love his extravagant love for us. Um, and I think that's one of the greatest blessings, uh, and most profound, beautiful things about being a foster and adoptive parent is getting to see, the pure gospel play out in your lives. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's brutal, it's challenging, um, but God uses that experience to transform you, and, and in that there's some tremendous
0: joy. To yeah, them. I think for me, I always heard the words, you're adopted as a son, like mm-hmm. God adopts you as his son, and so that was rich, and then... Experiencing a, a, a foster son coming into my home and, mm. and realizing that's a lot harder. <laughs> There's a cost to that. Yeah. There's it's a struggle, and then I realize, yeah. oh, that God is—he's entered that struggle right. to bring me in. You know, it's a, really a powerful reality. Yeah. You know, earlier I talked about um, how kind of likened it to stepping into the mud pit. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, can't get, you can't get into the mud pit and not get muddy. But I, I actually think that undersells it a little bit in terms of what we're called to because Jesus enters in the world and he doesn't just get muddy, he gets bloody. The pain isn't just on the outside of him. He doesn't just sort of dabble in the pain. It actually like penetrates him. And I think to really live that Christian life at some point, if you walk that road with Jesus, we're going to get bloody. That, that's the, the, the pain is going to be that Significant, and the struggle is going to be that real. Um, I don't know that I've attained that level of uh, yet Mm -hmm. in terms of pain, but I do know that's the road that God calls us on, and I see that in people who walk this road. So that's a that's important. So yeah. Yeah. Hey, tell me real quick though, uh, Mm -hmm. just to change the tone here. It's December fourth. It's officially Christmas, (laughs) and like we just showed like the most depressing video. Like right? people are out there wondering, like, isn't it Christmas? We're just talking about like joy and where's the hot right. cocoa and like right. Rudolph like making a surprise entrance or something. Holy, jelly Christmas! It's yeah. Totally. Yeah. So why would we show this? Yeah. Why today for this yeah. story, mm. this call, this idea, this focus on vulnerable kids? Why yeah. today?
2: Yeah, you know, man, I think there's there's the there's the biblical side of it that like. Jesus came in this season. We're, we're celebrating that He came as a vulnerable child, so He's like the perfect advocate for us. Uh, he knows our experiences of being vulnerable, being broken. Um, yeah, He relates to these kids maybe more than we ever will. Absolutely, at least some of us. Absolutely. Right. And then the 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 hard reality is Christmas time uh, is a time when families are getting together and things start coming out. Um, Revelations are made. DHS is called. Child welfare is called, and there's just uh, an influx of kids coming into care, and so the needs in our in our child welfare offices around this time of year uh, hit an an all time high for the year of kids coming into care.
0: Right. Yeah, and it's kind of a focus. Sometimes it's a season where the church gets focused in on ourselves. Yeah. When and, and it's a season sometimes where God mostly needs us to step in. Yeah. To, to brokenness yeah. which is hard because you have these two conflicting values Absolutely. yeah it's good. so talk to us then yeah. about that yeah. like what does it look like to not just come and see oh. a video and right. kind of feel emotional but what does it look like for us as a church to, to continue to push in um, to break the chains of injustice and to be yeah. the hands and feet of Jesus and the voice of Christ and the love of God to really model you know Christian, or, you know, Jesus incarnation in these right. kids. What is that? How do we take some next steps? Right,
2: right. Put some yeah. feet on that for us. Yeah. So the, the reality is we're not all called to be foster and adoptive parents. Um, but we are all called to love these kids and to care about these kids. But here's the thing about Scripture. It never allows us. Scripture never allows us just to stop with that emotional response, that like sentimentality. Scripture always calls us to action, okay? And so along those lines, our vulnerable child team, led by uh, Larry Stiegel, Nikki Engbloom, Cindy Cartmell, and others, have put together a brochure, and you'll find it in the rack in front of you or a, on the pew. And if you'd grab that right now, that would just be tremendous. And, and open it up. And, and, and in the brochure, there's listed out um, different pathways for you to get involved and to take action uh, to care for these kids. Uh, and if, I'd just love to kind of highlight a few of them. Uh, before we go to the beginning, if you could jump to the second page with me, that Exploring Foster Care and Adoption class. That's a class uh, my wife, Bethany, who's on staff with me here as well, uh, and I, we teach that in the spring, so we're excited about that. But for us, the call into foster care and adoption um, was was kind of just a process. There was these moments like God was just like pinging our hearts uh, and and saying, you know, follow me, step into this, and 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 we wrestled with that. But if you're in here today, and this is another one of those moments where you feel like, okay, <laughs> God's been ringing on my door a long time uh, to step in to be a foster parent or to adopt. Um, this is an awesome opportunity for you to, un- to unpack that, to get to know what, what it means to be a foster or an adoptive parent. So I'd encourage you to, uh, to contact us. We would love to chat with you and, and to attend that class in the spring. Yeah. But if we move back over to the front, the first page, um, the first initiative you'll see there is welcome boxes. And you'll see them out in the lobby. This is our second year collecting them. Um, and if you know anything about welcome boxes, they're little boxes that we put together. For kids that come into care. And, and like I said, we collected over five or put together over 500 of those as a community last year.
0: And everyone got used last oh, year. Oh, yeah. Everyone got everyone used. Everyone got used.
2: Everyone That's got right. used. And I want to say, let's do 750. I haven't checked that out with anybody in charge yet. But, but that means 500 kids experience the love of Christ through you uh, as they came into care because they're given those boxes as they come into care. Because as they uh, come to the DHS office, it takes about, on average, four to six hours for them to sit there as a caseworker tries to find a placement for them because there are so few foster homes. And in these boxes, they're just little items um, to bring them comfort, some, some entertainment and, and, and joy. Um, it's not much, but it's something that's their own. And I think... This video is also accurate in the sense that if you see the little girl, uh, what's she carrying all her stuff around and is she moving? Is she, move, is she carrying it around like in a nice Samsonite suitcase? What's a, it's, a black, it's a black trash bag, which it doesn't take much to think. Like, my stuff goes in a trash bag. I am trash. And they don't have much that belongs to them. I remember our first child came to us with just a onesie on out of the NICU unit at the hospital. And I thought, wow, just the onesie. And then I, I changed her diaper, and on the back it said, property of the NICU. And so she came with nothing. And so we give them these boxes. It's just a simple thing we can do right. at Christmas. And and they can open those up and, and, and take those belongings with
0: them. So, right. And the um, idea is just like, hey, the, the, not everybody's gonna be a foster parent. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is on the other end of the spectrum, everyone can grab a box and do a box. Right, right. What would you say in the first service? Right. It, t- it, t- takes, it, it
2: takes a few bucks, a little bit of time, a trip to the dollar store, uh, and um, it, the, the investment for eternity, the impact is is,
0: right. in, is tremendous. Yeah, it's you just got to love Jesus and kids and yeah, take And you got to love Jesus and kids. Yeah, it's good. So tell us, so there's like two ends of the spectrum of ways yeah. to kind of take action, be a part of this movement to... Mm -hmm. Obliterate injustice. What about something in the middle, Paul, that we would say like this would be like more of a middle place? Yeah. So some of these um some
2: of these pathways are 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 more relational. Uh and and one that Cedar Mill has been involved in for over a decade now, I think we're going on like fifteen years is, is Royal Family Kids Camp. And you can see that um below welcome boxes on the list. And it's an it's a week where um these kids, vulnerable kids, get to come out to camp. Uh, and we have the opportunity to volunteer. Many of us have already done that. Um, I would love everyone in this room to consider that, but take a week in the summer to come out and spend time with these kids. Um, you go out thinking you're going to serve the kids, and you come back, it, you realize that the change has happened with within you. Um, but for a lot of these kids, that week is a week of joy and peace and rest and, and like I said, for many of them they 've never really had that experience, so that 's a very rare experience for them and When we think about joy and peace and rest, we think about god 's kingdom and we know that in his kingdom there are no orphans and, and we can give them for that week a taste of his kingdom as his people
0: yeah yeah that 's good and we 're kind of and we've, we have some folks who 've been doing that for like fifteen years straight, and some of those folks are marching on, some of them are Ready to move on to other places and we're looking for some, what do you call it, first service reinforcements. Yeah. We need some reinforcements. We need some, reinforcement. some, some fresh energy out there. So for those of you who've never been a part of a royal family, consider making that sacrifice and you'll get ble- you'll be blessed by it. It's, yeah, i it's, I'd it's encourage a great everybody week.
2: to do that and take that week if you decide you're going to do that and, and get the child care, take that week off of work. If you won't regret it. So. Yeah. 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 One more for us. Yeah. The, the next one is, 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 is respite care and, um, the reality again, like I said, is, you know, we're not all going to be called to be foster and adoptive parents, but, um, I think that's by God's design. Because those that are called to step in and be foster and adoptive parents can't do that alone. Yeah. They can't do that alone. They need our entire church family to come around them. So for those of you who, who aren't called, um, being willing to step in and support um, the families that, that, that are called into this place, um, is powerful. You'll never, uh, realize the impact of one of those, like, frozen Costco lasagnas dropped off on the front porch, but it, it makes foster and adoptive families, like, tear up.
0: So, yeah. um, the kingdom advancing one Costco lasagna on at, at a the time. time. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, I would echo that, uh, you know, uh, Amy and I did had our kind of first run at foster care these last 19 months. Some of you may not know that our foster son Sylvia just went back to be with his biological father at the beginning of last month um, uh, in Arizona, and so uh, that was a tough transition. Not necessarily a bad transition, but a tough transition. And so he's gone back to be with his dad. But during that 19 months of having him, we had uh, a couple families that really were just invi- around from this church um, who just kind of surrounded us and said, hey, can we take him sometimes? Can we help? How can we provide some points of relief and a break so you, you can have a break and your kids can have a break and that was just a lifesaver. Just those little moments just saved us. And so part of my vision and desire is that yeah. every single family in our church that steps up and says, I want to be an adoptive or foster parent, foster family, that we would surround that family instantly with three other families to mm-hmm. say, we'll be your support structure because um, that is a huge, huge role. So I would love huge. to be a church where that is happening constantly for our, our foster families. Anyway, yeah. uh, hey, hey, how about this? Uh, you know, Paul said, um, he, we talked last night on the phone, kind of talked through how this was going to go today. We didn't really know. It was a big, big experiment. <laughs> um, I thought you did great, and you look good. Oh, thank you, thank um, you. <laughs> But he he read to me last night this letter that his wife gave him. It's written from a pastor to the church about foster care. He said, I don't know if this would fit. And I said, I think it fits as the clothes. Mm -hmm. So I asked him if he would just read that for us Mm -hmm. as sort of a benediction. If he would send us with this letter um, written, again, to the church on behalf of foster kids. Awesome, man.
2: Yeah, and so bear with me here. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ... Foster care is not simply another ministry to add to your productivity list. Foster care and adoption is the tentacles of almost every mercy ministry within your church. The children in foster care represent the addicted, the imprisoned, the trafficked, the abused, and neglected. They reflect divorce, immigration, single-parent homes, and the unemployed. They carry stories of parents who are homeless, churchless, widowed, and broken. They are little ones who are weighed with special needs, illiteracy, and teenage pregnancy. They are not invisible or far away. My friends, if the church is not about believing the name of Jesus is powerful enough to set the oppressed free and loosen the chains of injustice, then we have chosen the wrong kind of fast. Or so Isaiah once said. If we are not about feeding the hungry, giving shelter to the wanderer, and clothing the naked, then we are missing the spaces into which God the Father is inviting us to break forth like the dawn, to display the weight of his glory and righteousness, to be as his incarnation here on earth. We do not do these things because it earns us a place at the table. And be certain of that. We embrace being slaves to righteousness because His great mercy and faithfulness has set us free to be emptied because of His love so that His name may be proclaimed among the nations. Amen? Amen. If our churches are not for the broken, then for whom were we created? For we are all broken and fractured, seeking the only one who can make us whole again. Friends, you are called as a church body to be aware of the foster care world because only you can bring the one who makes all things possible to an impossible place. Amen. As you go
0: today, let this holiday season remind you that we have a God who steps in. And then don't forget to ask yourself, where is he calling me to step in on his behalf? God bless you and Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you.